Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 1. So this morning we are starting a new series on the book of Matthew. The title of the series is King of Kings, and this is going to kick off our Advent season, the the Christmas season. But we're going to continue into the the book of Matthew into 2023 and possibly beyond, depending on um, how long it takes us. To start this series, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. So we're going to look at one verse today. so, so don't worry, we're going to pick up the pace after today. But today's kind of the introduction to the book of Matthew. Um, and there's a lot more in verse 1 than, than, you, than might meets the eye. And hopefully we'll see a, kind of the big connection between the Old and the New Testament. And as I often remind my kids when they start a new sports season, um, they're, they're runners. Uh, it really doesn't matter in a race or at the beginning of the season how, how slow your start is. It really matters at the end how you finish. So that's, we're, we're taking a long view to the book of Matthew. So we're going to start, take our time, slowly start, and then jump in. So look at Matthew 1.1. This verse will be projected throughout uh, the sermon today to hopefully um, give you a new appreciation of the word genealogy and genealogies in general, particularly biblical ones. So look at verse 1. This is the Gospel of Matthew, the very first book in your New Testament. Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. I want to read a quote from the Spurgeon Study Bible about the book of Matthew. I think it, it captures some really important points. As the first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew serves as a gateway between the two Testaments, from the Old to the New. You can kind of go both directions with it. Of the New Testament books, and certainly of the four Gospels, Matthew has the strongest connection to the Old Testament. Matthew gave us God's entire plan from Genesis to Revelation. So it really is a book that connects the dots between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Matthew looked back and referred to Hebrew prophecies about 60 times. So there are 60 direct quotations from Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfills, that Matthew um, has in his book that we'll see. And they're often set up with was fulfilled, or so that it was spoken, or it might be fulfilled. So the word fulfilled is going to be predominant throughout the book of Matthew because he wants the original intended audience, which were Jewish Christians, and he wants us to know that this big, long story started in Genesis 1, and it culminates in Jesus coming, the fulfillment of these prophecies. He also, the quote says, looked forward by dealing not only with the Messiah's coming and his ministry, but also his future plan for his church and his kingdom. So the book of Matthew really is an incredible book. And if you've ever been reading the Old Testament, you're thinking, and then you start reading the New, and you you don't see the connections. The book of Matthew is one of the gifts of the New Testament that really helps us connect from old to new back and forth. 
Point number one, the long-awaited king has arrived. The long-awaited king has arrived. Look at verse one again. The book of the genealogy, that could be um, even uh, translated the origin of Jesus Christ. Where did he come from? Um, the book of, of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So Matthew, the very first gospel, is an introduction to who Jesus is. And he's going to teach us some really important things even in these verses, particularly with the name Jesus, with the title Christ, with the, the reference to the son of David and the son of Abraham. All those things are significant as we'll see today and as we go through the series. To set us up a little bit more, I want to read one other quote from the Dictionary of Jesus and the Gospels. Matthew's purpose, Matthew's the author, his purpose for writing to followers of Jesus toward the end of the first century A.D. is to portray Jesus as God's authorized Messiah who teaches and enacts the reign of God, the rule of God, and who ushers in the kingdom through his self-giving ministry and death. See, the book of Matthew is the good news that the Jewish people have been waiting for for a very, very long time. And not only the Jewish people, but the world. Since sin entered the world and since we inherited the sinful nature, there has been a long-awaited remedy for the human condition. And the book of Matthew announces the remedy has arrived. Um, if you're familiar at all with the Bible, it ends, the last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. And about 430 years later, from when that was written, Jesus enters the scene. So it might be hard for us to get our, our minds around, but there was a period of 430 years of silence from God himself. So that would take us back to the year 1590. So let's go in a time machine back to the year 1590. And you were waiting from 1590 to present day. The United States did not even exist in that time period. That's how, how silent and how big the gap of time was. And then Matthew has this good news. Verse 1 again, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. My name is Joe Ryer, Joseph Ryer. First name Joseph, last name Ryer. With Jesus Christ, it's not a first and last name. First name Jesus, title Christ. Jesus Christ. This is the book of the origin of Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the King. Jesus the Anointed One that was promised and prophesied about in the Old Testament. So the name Jesus um, is, uh, is the, the Greek version of Joshua, to save. So the Savior has come, and He is the King. And Matthew wants his Jewish readers to know that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these long-awaited promises and prophecies. So good news is here. The King has come. And as we will see in the, the weeks to come, the king is different than many, many anticipated. 
He is different in a good way in a thousand different ways. He's unlike any king that has ever existed prior or would ever come after. Jesus is the King of Kings. We get a glimpse of how unique he is in the Gospel of John. Listen to these two verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, you could read the verses this way in John. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. And Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, this king that Matthew wants us to know about and be introduced to existed before he came to earth. He is none other than God in the flesh that we will see in a few weeks when, when Dave Marshall preaches. See, this king is unlike any king in a thousand different ways. And Matthew who is the author of the book of Matthew, he's not just a Jewish scholar writing to um, other scholars and just bringing up some really interesting facts that Jewish scholars might be interested in. No, he is a man, as we're going to see in a moment, who had a personal, life-transforming encounter with this king that he writes about. And Matthew most likely is writing this sometime between 55 AD, and probably be, be, before 70 AD. So it's about um, roughly 20 to 35 years after Jesus had died on the cross. And that can be debated to some degree. But the point is, the author has experienced what, it, what it's like to encounter this unique king, this king of kings, and he wants all of us to experience that as well. See, Matthew's writing as one who, who met Jesus, and when he met him, he was a tax collector. Not like your tax collector. We have a tax collector in our neighborhood, very nice woman. Um, the tax collectors in Jesus' day were, were not liked at all. And the reason they weren't liked is because, um, in, in Matthew's case, he was Jewish, his name in, in the, the New Testament times is referred to as Levi, and then Jesus calls him Matthew when he calls him to be his disciple. But he was Levi, the tax collector. He was Jewish by birth, but he worked for Rome. He was, um, if you were Jewish, you would think he was a sellout. He was, he was a crook. See, the tax collectors had the power of Rome um, upon them when they knocked at your door. So when they came to collect taxes... You had to say yes because the power of Rome was behind them. And they would collect money for Rome, but they would also collect money for themselves. So Matthew was a very rich man. Most likely he was a, he was a very despised man from his countrymen. And that's just who he was. So, and, and we can't quite get our minds around it. So I was trying to think of an example to help us. So um, we live in Steelers country. So I want you to imagine the most diehard Steelers fan that you know. That, 
I mean, he just bleeds black and gold, or she bleeds black and gold. And they, they're just, you go to the house, they have a Steelers room. They, every, they know Steelers stats, they know Steelers history. So you got that image of that person, maybe that's you. Um, and they just love it, okay? So now I want you to imagine you get tickets to a Steelers game against the Browns. You go to Pittsburgh, and you're walking, you're about to walk into the stadium, and there's that person that you know, diehard Steelers fan, wearing Cleveland Browns gear and selling Cleveland Browns merchandise, okay? So this is your diehard, you're like, what are you doing? And it's like knockoff stuff, it's not even the real stuff. Um, so that, you would just have a feeling, you would have a reaction to that right away. Like, that's not right, that's, that's not right. You're not, you're not who you said you were. See, that's the feeling, but magnified by a thousand, that the Jewish people would have had towards the tax collector. Hey, you're, you're one of us. What are you doing taking our stuff? So Matthew meets Jesus, and it radically, totally transforms his life. If you could project Matthew 9, 9 through 13. In his gospel, he actually has the account of his interaction with Jesus. And he's years later writing it down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus passed from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. See, they had a reputation. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go learn in what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. See, Matthew encountered the king of kings, and this king was way, way, way different than anticipated. This king came to associate with the lowly, with those who have done really bad things, and really bad things repeatedly. Not only did he come to associate with them, he came to save them. He came to forgive them. He came to restore their life. So when Matthew writes in Matthew 1.1, Jesus Christ, the Savior who is the King, who can save anyone. Matthew had himself in mind. He had you and I in mind. And, and not only was that the surprise of Matthew's life, but then listen to what Jesus did in Matthew 10, 1 through 4. And he called to him 12 disciples. So this is, you know, the 12 disciples, the core of what becomes the future of Christianity. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. Think about that. A king with authority to cast out demons, to heal physically to heal of every affliction. What kind of king is this? Then the names of the 12 apostles are first Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, 
and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector. See, when Matthew's recording this, he, he doesn't forget that he's the tax collector. He's got the, the grime still on him. He remembers who he was when Jesus called him to salvation and who he was when Jesus called him to be part of the team, part of the future of Christianity, part of what would be the very first writer of the New Testament book, the book of Matthew. And then James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So years later, Matthew's penning this, and he's remembering this king of kings. And so it was somewhere in the 50s to 7, probably pre-70 AD that he wrote this letter. And he wants us to know who this king of kings is. If you're new to reading the Bible, or maybe you're not so new, but you get confused at times, especially if you read Matthew, Mark, um, Luke, and John in kind of consecutive order, and you think, wow, well, that seems like that event happened here, and now in Luke, it seems like it happened here. What, what's going on there? That's very confusing. Well, one way to solve that problem very simply is when Matthew, especially Matthew, wrote the book of Matthew, um, he is not concerned about chronological order of events at all. At all. He is con concerned about themes. So when he organizes all his stuff in the book of Matthew, he is organizing it around themes. So that is why at times you read one gospel account and the order is this way, and you read another, and it seems like a different order. Because Matthew is, is, is organizing around main big ideas. And so his stories, his true accounts, are, are centered around that. So it's not that the Bible contradicts um, itself. It's that the gospel authors, under the inspiration of the Spirit, had a very specific aim when they were writing their very specific account. And one of Matthew's big goals was to make this massive bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's connecting things that need to be connected. There are other books in the New Testament that are bridges, like the book of Hebrews is a bridge into the Old Testament, for sure. But there's no bridge that's bigger than the Gospel of Matthew. So if you ever drive to the beach from here and you go across the Chesapeake, Bay Bridge that's two miles long. I grew up somewhat near there, so we crossed it a lot over the years. It's, it's a massive two-mile bridge. It's actually two bridges side by side, lots of lanes for cars to drive on. Um, so you can really travel back and forth very freely. That's what the Gospel of Matthew, that's how it's to function. So if you have trouble between the old and the new, Get really familiar with the, the book of Matthew. And as you're reading it in your Bible and you see like little letters, letter A, letter B, letter C in the fine print, and you see quotations, go back to where they're pointing in the Old Testament. And that will help open your mind up to the connections between the many Old Testament passages that Matthew's connecting. It's a massive bridge back and forth to help us understand that this king didn't just arrive on the scene. He was promised and prophesied about over and over again in the book of Matthew. I would encourage you over the next um, few days or weeks to read the whole of the book of Matthew. You can read in one sitting. You can break it into chunks. But just get a big, wide overview. 
And, you, and those of you who are detail-oriented, it's, it's okay to read it at a fast clip. And just, Lord, I, I want to see the big picture. As you're doing that, here's just some basic structure in the book of Matthew. Matthew 1 through um, 4.16 is the introduction. Then the main body of the letter is Matthew 4.17 through 16.20. And then it concludes in Matthew 16.21 um, through 28. And Another way that Matthew groups things is he, he has three major sections and then he has five main teaching blocks. And, and the way you can know you're at the end of a teaching block is he has a summary statement at the end and then you know he's heading to the next thought. So just some tools as you're jumping in there. But the long-awaited king has come. Point two, the long-awaited king has arrived and he is far greater than ever imagined. Far greater than ever imagined. As we go through the book of Matthew, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were familiar with the Old Testament, they, they were looking for, some of them were looking for a Messiah, looking for a king to come, but Jesus didn't fit into their box, into their idea. And, and Jesus was just far greater, far different than ever imagined. But he has arrived. And this is why Christmas is such good news. This is why all the Christmas hymns that we love are centered around joy and, and celebration. Because the, the, the songwriters knew the monumental event of Jesus coming to earth. Listen to what Luke says about the birth of Jesus. This is when... Um, the angel appears to the shepherds. This is Luke 2. So though humans might not have known how big of a deal this was, heaven certainly knew how big of a deal this was. Verse uh, 10 of Luke 2. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all People, think about that. This king, Jesus the king, this is good news of great joy for all people, for all people groups. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, significant, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, the King of kings. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swallowing cloth lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. And I don't have the rest of the verse. And saying, has anybody got it? Thank you. <laughs> um, and, and a lot of scholars believe that the, all the angels where in the whole sky lit up with all the angels. So that means heaven was there to witness this monumental event. The angels knew what was happening. They knew how big of, an, uh, of a thing this was. The king of kings has come. There's great joy for you and I. There is salvation. As Jason said throughout worship, we have a hope. We have the forgiveness of sins, because this king has come. That is great news of incredible, incredible 
joy. See, in Matthew 4, um, Matthew begins to record some of the things that this king is doing. Look at Matthew 4, verses 23 through 25. And just think, what, what a king Jesus is. And he went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Imagine if you lived in approximately 25 to 30 A.D., 33 A.D., and you had a life-threatening illness. You were hopeless. There was no modern medicine. There was no modern treatments. You were hopeless. Maybe you were blind. Maybe you had leprosy. Um, maybe you knew there was just, your days were numbered. And this king of kings walks through your village and heals you and restores you. And if you were a a leper, he, he touches you and you're clean. And not only did he heal you physically, but he restored you to your friends and family. The social isolation is over. All because this king that Matthew tells us about has come to earth. So the fame throughout all Syria... And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons that were spiritually conflicted, those having seizures and paralytics, he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea from beyond the Jordan. That's our king. That's the king that Matthew is announcing has come on to the scene. And Matthew tells us in Matthew 11, John the Baptist is now in prison. He, he, he's wondering if, if Jesus really is the Messiah. Is he the one to come that, that we were waiting for? And, and listen to what, what happens. Matthew 11, verses 1 through 6. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, it's a title, not a last name, he he sent word by his disciples and said, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? Are you the one we've been waiting for for centuries or should we look for another? I love Jesus' answer. And Jesus answered them. So John's in prison. This is before he gets executed. Go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That's Jesus' long answer to a a short question. Is he the one? Yes. He's the one. He's the promised Messiah. He's the King of Kings. And remember, when you're reading the book of Matthew, Matthew's not like Luke when Luke writes the book of Luke. When Luke writes the book of Luke, he's researching, he's studying, he's interviewing people, and then he's writing things down. Matthew primarily is remembering what he saw with his own eyes. He was right there. 
He was front row. If it was a basketball game, he was sitting courtside as Jesus is doing these incredible things. And under the inspiration of the Spirit, he is now recording them. So if you're not a Christian and you're, you're wondering about Christianity, Matthew is an eyewitness. He saw Jesus with his own eyes. He experienced his kingship and the, how transforming it was. He experienced the salvation that he offers. It is real. And you too can experience that by calling out to Jesus. Last point. The long-awaited king is the fulfillment of Old Testament promises and prophecies. Verse 1 again. The book of the genealogy, the origins of Jesus the king, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew quotes the Old Testament about 60 times, pretty directly. The Old Testament points to Jesus. And Jesus fulfills all those promises and prophecies. Let me give you an example of one. So this, this son of David, this is a in very intentional um, phrase to be connected to Jesus. Because in the Old Testament, in numerous places, um, David is told that there will, there will come one from his line, from his lineage, that is going to be a king but he's going to be an eternal king, a king that, that lives forever. And Matthew wants us to know this is the king that God promised David. Look at 2 Samuel 7, 12, and 13. So this was spoken to David. When your days are fulfilled, King David, and you lie down with your fathers, when you die, I will raise up your, your offspring after you, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. So that could have been any king, but then we get some details that, oh, this is not any king. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So this is not King Solomon or any of the other kings that are following. No, this is a king that will live forever. This is an eternal king that is coming. And the only way... A king can be an eternal king with an eternal kingship and an eternal rule as he has to somehow conquer death. See, Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. He's buried. And then on the third day, what does he do? He rises from the grave. He is the promised eternal king that God promised David would come from his line. Um, Jeremiah says it this way, For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, because there will be a king who will be there forever. See, Jesus is now the risen king who is seated at the right hand of the Father, who one day, as we will learn throughout Matthew, is going to return. He's the king of kings. There is no earthly king. Um, ruler that is, is anywhere close to his power, to his authority, and there's no one close to his mercy or his grace or his ability to transform. So he's the son of David. He's also the son of Abraham. We're going to skip to Genesis 12, 
1 through 3. This is also very intentional. So we, we have the connection to the covenant God made with David. Now we have the connection to the covenant that God made with Abraham. The founding covenant for the Jewish people and what would become us, the people of God. So this is Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So with this phrase, Jesus, the king, is the son of Abraham, that bridge, that gateway back into the Old Testament goes the whole way to Genesis 12 through, let's say, 17. If you read the details of the Abrahamic covenant, this is the promise, and Jesus is the way that this promise is going to be fulfilled. How do we know that? Well, listen to what Paul says about this promise that God made to Abraham. Galatians 3, 16 through 18. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ, Jesus, the King. When you're reading through the New Testament, circle the word Christ every time you see it. If you do it correctly, you will have over 500 circles in your New Testament. The title of Christ is huge in the New Testament because it connects to this promise in Genesis that God will redeem a people and it will all center around Jesus. This is what he says in verse 17. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by the promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. This can seem confusing and technical, but the main idea is this promised king is the savior of the world. This promised king, not only is he powerful, not only can he heal, not only can he restore, not only did he associate with the lonely and the lowly, but he never sinned. He never sinned once. He never in thought or word or action sinned. And that would be incredible in and of itself. But then this king did the unthinkable. What no king would do. He died for criminals. He died for rebels. He died for those who hated him and mocked him. He, he mounted a wooden tree to take the wrath that we all deserve so that we could be a part of his kingdom, a part of his family. That's a king worth following. That's a king worth trusting. And as we go through Matthew, we're going to learn more and more and more about how great this king is. So my prayer, among many, is that we would see Jesus as greater and more amazing. And when we read Matthew 1.1, We'd never see it the same again. Let me read it and then we'll pray. And the band can come up. Matthew 1.1 1, 1, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son 
of Abraham. Let's all stand and pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that we would see more of Jesus, that we would really believe you, Jesus, that you, you love when we come to you. You love when we share our burdens with you. You love when we confess our sins so that we can be cleansed. You love when people come to you for the first time and you make them alive in you. And you give them satisfaction that they never knew existed or was possible. So Lord, as we sing this last song, may you fill us with joy and great affection for you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.